This week on the Time Blaster Toycast, we'll be joined by legendary toy designer Stephanie Iskander. From Rainbow Bright to Popples to Gem to WF Wrestling Buddies, Steph's designs played a huge part in all of our lives. And with a career spanning decades, there's so much to discuss, so let's get into it right after this break. Welcome to the Toy Cast. Toy Cast. Cue up the super soakers for the time blast. Time blast. Make your tail spin from the launch pad. Launch it's pad. the time blast. Time of blast. The toy Cast. You can download this podcast on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to check out the official Toycast YouTube channel at Time Blaster Toycast. To stay up to date with us, please make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Time Blaster Toys, also at The Retro KO. The Time Blaster Toy Line is now open. Leave us your reviews, thoughts, or comments via voice message, or you can shoot us a text at 734-494-2292. My name is Dave, at Matthew Priest on social media, and we are LAVE Alive and kicking with the following toy cast, which is a special edition scheduled for a 60-minute time limit. Introducing first, your host. They're weighing in today with the stress of fatherhood and fanfare of figures with actions. They aren't just tough, they're Tonka tough. Let's crack open a cold one because they are the reigning, defending Toy Cast Tag Team Champions of the World at the Retro KO Joe at Time Blaster Toys Keith, together known as the Time Blaster Toy Cast. And now, making her way down the Time Blaster Toy Cast toy aisle, coming to us from the Beehive State, this woman has worked. On or with every major toy company. She has also been affiliated in some way with every major girl's toy line. From illustrator to instructor, imaginator to inventor, artist to architect, designer to director, freelancer to free leader. She is also an author. Her book, Toy Stories, The Secret Life of a Toy Designer, is available now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the dreamtastic doll designer herself, Stephanie Eskander. I don't think I've ever had an introduction like that. That was <laughs> phenomenal. Will you please uh, uh, put that in a, a time capsule and send that to me so I can uh, blast that one off to everybody? That was awesome. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you want every member of your family to refer to you that way going forward. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's my pleasure to be able to, to put an intro together for you like that. I mean, you are... It's just incredible doing research and, and just looking into everything you've done. And I know we want to just get started with, with how it all started. How did you even get into the the toy industry uh, as it is? Well, it's, it's, <clears throat> excuse me. it's kind of an interesting story because I never had any intention of being a toy designer. That was not necessarily my dream. I, I guess you could say I didn't really even know the toy industry existed or or think about it much. Um, I started off after I uh, studied illustration in college and got my degree in illustration and had every intention of being a children's illustrator and or advertising illustrator. And I, I spent my first 10 years after college uh, in the advertising world at working in Los Angeles as a storyboard illustrator uh, for a big, uh, well, several big Los Angeles ad agencies. And kind of indirectly through my advertising, I became uh, aware of the toy industry through some jobs that I picked up. My, my first one was uh, 
one of my ad agency friends was working for a small agency that did the advertising for uh, Small World Toys, which is a small Los Angeles toy company, and they needed somebody to illustrate some toy boxes, uh, doll, you know, doll boxes, do the packaging illustration. And because I was an illustrator, I, I accepted that job and did that. And and then through that project, uh, became um, acquainted with the, actually the president of the company. And he kind of became my mentor. And uh, I had a couple of other jobs with this toy company. And then um, I also, about around the same time, started uh, working for Mattel's ad agency, doing some storyboards for CNC, Masters of the Universe, Barbie. Um, and then in the fall of 1984, Mattel had a job fair. And living in the Los Angeles area, it wasn't too far to go down to, to take that. So I took my portfolio down to this job fair and they hired me. And it was just kind of seamless <laughs> and surprising. Um, when I start, actually, when I started, they asked me if I was would like to be in product design or packaging design. Mm -hmm. And because I had done those doll boxes and I was really an illustrator and kind of a graphic designer, the natural thing would have been for me to choose to be in the packaging design department because that was more kind of my forte. But pa uh, product design sounded a little bit more exciting. So I chose that. And honestly, that's just changed my life in every way. Uh, once I started at Mattel, which was in January of 1985, I discovered that a lot of my colleagues kind of came in around the same, uh, through the same path as I did. We were illustrators. There were quite a few back in those days who came from, say, Hallmark, American Greetings, had illustrated children's books, um, that kind of thing. And I was also illustrating for children's magazines. So I kind of fit right in. So that was that was really an interesting way to get into the toy industry. But once I got in, I was absolutely hooked. I just I just knew that that was what I was meant to do. And I've loved every minute of it. Yeah. So that's 1984, 1985 that you're working at Mattel. Right. And I th is would Popples be considered like the first real big success, uh, you know, once you're in the toy industry? Right. I, I was um, I was in what they call the large and small dolls group. Mm -hmm. And the the main lines that we were working on at the time I got there, Popples came in after I had been there for a few months, was Rainbow Bright and Lady Lovely Locks. And so um, we were one of the, the things about the toy industry is you're almost never working on just one project. You're working on many projects simultaneously. So um, I was I started off working on uh, Rainbow Bride and Lady Lovely Locks, and then Popples came to us a few months later from those characters from Cleveland, which is the uh, licensing division of American Greetings. And we developed it uh, part of a small team. There were about uh, three or four of us that developed Popples uh, pretty much from scratch because the way it came from uh, TCFC, which is those characters from Cleveland, was not very fully developed. So I would say that between Rainbow Bright and um, Popples, those were my first two major 
uh, toy lines that I worked on, and I designed what I consider the last Rainbow Bright doll, which was Moonglow. Wow. And that was one that we developed in-house as opposed to American Greetings um, developing it, which was pretty common back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how did that come to be with designing? Oh, actually, I, actually I, I, I misspoke. It wasn't American Greetings. <laughs> it was Hallmark. Okay. Um, Rainbow Bright was a Hallmark property, and Popples was American Greetings. Interesting. So starting as cards. How, so were the characters that you were designing for Rainbow Bright, did you already have, um, like, hey, here's the character that Hallmark is giving you, or, did you, or were these creations that you had to come up with and, and illustrate? These were actually creations that we came up with. Um, okay. There were three or four of them that were called uh, Dress Up Rainbow Bright, and we developed, me and uh, one other designer developed three new characters. And um, one of them was called Tickle Pink, which is real popular with collectors. Another one was called um, Stormy, which was never released and has been kind of one of those holy grails for Rainbow Bright lovers because there were prototypes made and it was in the catalog and on packaging, <clears throat> but the line was canceled. And then there's Moonglow, which I designed, but was only released in Germany. Wow. So uh, it's pretty rare to find. Uh, there are some floating around, and it's uh, it's gotten a lot of uh, tension because it's, again, one of those rarities. But it, it was my idea, you know, how she was going to look and her theme and her backstory and all that, which was pretty awesome because working with licensing, you're almost always at the mercy of the licensor. And their, you know, style guide and requirements and and uh, their stories. There's not a lot of latitude for new development. So to be able to come up with a wonderful new uh, doll, a couple of dolls, but I worked on Moonglow, was really exciting. Yeah. Now, the toy industry, you mentioned earlier how you were working on multiple uh, lines at the same time. I find it interesting in toys as opposed to comic books or film or TV where, uh, you know, the creator or someone, you're going to get credit for the work that you've done. But as a toy designer, that's not necessarily the case. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is, it's got to be harder. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that whole, you know, it's been 30, 40 years and you've had such a big, played such a pivotal role in some of these characters, like you just said, you, you kind of created from scratch, but you know, like on record, you don't really even get credit for it, right? It's more the licensor, the company itself. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I guess that's just the way it always was. Yeah. I never expected to get credit. You know, as a as a children's illustrator, I um, had done a lot of magazine illustration through the years. And, of course, there was always a byline. I always got credit. Occasionally, they misspelled my name. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there was always... but. You know, I knew the toy industry was different, and I didn't expect to get any credit. And so, you know, we just kind of, just the way it was. You know, we assumed that we weren't going to be getting any, necessarily any credit for anything. In fact, you know, moving ahead um, to the Wrestling Buddies, which was probably the most successful toy I ever designed. Yeah. uh, Back in 19, uh, December of 1990, when when yay there you go hey Hulk <laughs> when wrestling buddies were becoming a huge phenomenal success 
uh, a newspaper. We uh, we were in Minneapolis. That's uh, Tonka was in the Minneapolis area, and a newspaper came to do a, a big spread in their business section about us and the success of. Um, the wrestling buddies. And because it was a local company, that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. So they came out with their photography crew and, you know, their reporters, they set up photos. I got to be in the front of the photo holding one, a, a wrestling buddy, not one of my designs, but another wrestling buddy. But then when they wrote the article, they just called me a new designer. Oh no. <laughs> Cause I had just come to the company. They didn't name me by name and it, which didn't really surprise me at the time. I, I wasn't disappointed that. And later when I pointed out that article, I said, yeah, in the article, I'm the new designer. <laughs> so they're not going to say my name. You just have to trust that, that that was me. Yeah. <laughs> so, so no, we, um, we're just used to that, you know, yeah. in fact, it wasn't really until, about five years ago, when I started my toy Instagram account and was invited to my first fan convention, that I even considered making what I do public. Right. You know, it, I always just figured I would kind of live and die a, a anonymous toy designer. And, and that was fine with me. I mean, I, I'm not a person who seeks fame or is looking for credit or anything. And it, sometimes it's just overwhelming to me when people make a fuss over me because I'm just, I'm just a designer doing my job and trying to do really good work and do the best that I can. Cause mm -hmm. you know, my, my motto has always been to make my client look good, whether it's as a full-time design employee or whether it's a freelance job, you know, to give them what they want and to make them look good, not to make me look good. Yeah. Um, you were mentioning the wrestling buddies and, and what we've talked about, you were creating, you know, moon glow for rainbow bright, but with the wrestling buddies, these are made after real people. Was that the first time you were designing something based off of a real person as opposed to something you're creating or, or working on with a license? Wow. That's a, I've never been asked that question before. I think it probably was, um, I can't I can't think of anything that I had done prior to Wrestling Buddies that I was doing uh, that was based on a real person. Um, and of course, it was challenging. I, the story is that I arrived at Tonka from Hasbro at, right after Christmas in 1989. And so, you know, here, picture this, it's it's late December in Minneapolis. You mm -hmm. can imagine what the weather was like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm cold just and thinking about I was, it. <laughs> I was by myself. My husband and kids were in Rhode Island, you know, getting our house ready to sell and, and make our family move back to Minneapolis. Um, and so I was by myself and, and about my second day of work or so I brought into this meeting with the boys toys group and they proceeded to tell me that they had just acquired the uh, WWF license to do these wrestling toys and that they wanted me to give a, a shot at doing the artwork for these, for these wrestling, but well, they weren't even called wrestling buddies then, but these wrestling um, figures, mm -hmm. pillows. And uh, they had, I apparently several other designers at the company had, you know, put their hand to trying to draw them but they weren't happy with it. And so I, 
you know, sat down with some magazines. The, the only wrestler I knew of at that time was Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I'd never, I was not involved in wrestling in any kind of way. And I didn't really know too much about it. So I drew Hulk Hogan and they just flipped, you know, they said, yes, this is it. You're, you're the one. <laughs> and it was, it was so shocking to me because I, um, like you said, trying to draw likeness, but as you know, the the shape of the wrestling buddies is very um, fat, chubby, stylized, short little legs, you know, the big kind of big head. And so that meant that I couldn't do it realistically, although I, I don't think it would have worked realistically. It probably would have looked really awkward. But I knew it had to be kind of cartoony, and I kind of had a little cartoony style that I liked with the kind of big eyes, and and, and somehow they liked what I did. I wish I had my very first sketch. That would be a, a collector's item, I guess. Yeah, but, for sure. <laughs> but it probably looked pretty similar to the wrestling buddy that you, that you have right there. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, within within a week and you have to understand too that this was like right after christmas so there was still the new year holiday coming up so like i i believe i started on the 27th or 28th of december by january 3rd i had already designed and had my first um drawings approved by titan sports you know the the licensor for wwf and was already starting to work on the next three wrestling buddies, which were the, you know, the first four, right. the first season that we did. So you knew. And so uh, it was really quick. Yeah. So immediately uh, upon drawing that Hulk Hogan, they gave you the four, the other three, like these are the four that are being made. Right. Like right, right. off the bat. Yeah, yeah. I didn't choose them. They yeah. picked the, they picked the four. Uh, I imagine Titan Sports, um, Vince McMahon, the whole team. Yeah chose which wrestlers they wanted me to do. And so then I just sat down and started drawing. But meantime, I was really hired to be a senior designer in their dolls group. And so we were working on the cupcake line of dolls. And as I go through my planner, because I kept pretty detailed planners back in those days, you know, you can see one day I'm spending all day drawing, um, uh, Ultimate Warrior, and then the next day I'm designing, you know, cupcake dolls. And going, <laughs> you know, were, or maybe half the day I'm yeah. trying, you know, Ted DiBiase, and then the other half of the day I'm drawing cute girl stuff. So, you know, it was it was a, a busy toy designer life, and you have to be able to switch gears really yeah, quickly real. and be flexible and. Um, um, I guess I, I think the thing that I love so much about toys is there's never a dull moment. You know, every project is different. And as an illustrator, uh, one of the things that I wanted to avoid doing was getting stuck in a niche where I had to do a certain style mm-hmm. and a certain type of artwork all the time. And even though I've primarily designed girls toys and primarily designed cute things, uh, I've had a lot of experience in designing other types of toys and figures and characters that have not been on quite that cute of a trajectory. And it's really been a lot of fun. Yeah. I think the wrestling buddies are the perfect mix of like, they're, 
I mean, I don't know if you could call them cute, but they're friendly and inviting looking, right? The idea that you're going to have this toy that you're going to beat up and throw around the house. But mom can look at it and think, hey, like this is a pretty cute looking version of the Hulkster. Right. Um, And I know a moment ago you mentioned Ted DiBiase. I got to ask, right? Because the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, is my favorite wrestling buddy of all time. It's the only one I still have from my childhood. Uh, The decision to put him in that full suit, was that something that Titan wanted or did you choose to, you know, because you got to make him look cool. He's in that green suit with all the diamonds and studs. He's very toyetic. You you know what I mean? Like he looks cool in that suit. Was that your decision or did or no, it, it was not my decision, but I was so happy. I was say, you Teddy had to be Biazzi, stoked. <laughs> he was my favorite wrestling buddy to design. Yeah, he's so cool. And him. there were two reasons. Number one was his hair. I oh, loved yeah. that <laughs> 80s hairstyle. What a head of hair he had. <laughs> he was so cool looking. Yeah. And the other thing was kind of just what you alluded to was all the sparkles. Yeah. You know, being a girl's toy designer, we do, you know, do a lot with glitter and sparkles. And you know, it was like, oh, woohoo, I get to put <laughs> glitter and sparkles and, you know, uh, little starbursts and things on his suit. Yeah. It was really fun. Now, with Wrestling Buddies being such a huge success, almost immediately, I remember, I mean, so you're designing them winter 89. By Christmas 1990, they are literally everywhere. I can remember being a kid going in my local Kmart and the top shelf of every toy aisle, I'm talking three, four aisles, is nothing but wrestling buddies as far as the eye can see. I mean, every <laughs> every kid in America was buying these things. Oh, yeah. yep. um, do, you, do you have any sort of memories of that time going to a toy store and just kind of basking in your, uh, your work and seeing them flying <laughs> off the shelves? I would just be you know, standing in Toys R Us telling everyone, I drew right, that. That's, that's mine. me. That's mine. <laughs> I don't think I ever did that because I've just, I've been one of those people that, um, although I'm not a shy person, I consider myself quite outgoing. I am reserved when it comes to my own work. Yeah. I I really don't like to brag or I don't like to bring attention to myself. I've come into this so-called fame uh, very reluctantly, Mm -hmm. but I do have a story, a couple of stories. There's a lot of stories about wrestling buddies, but... But my favorite thing about the wrestling buddies was if you know anything about the toy industry, it generally takes anywhere from a year to two years to develop a toy. Right. Um, there, uh, there are so many steps in developing a toy. And generally, toys are made out of plastic, right? And so the biggest amount of time that it takes to do a toy is in the fabrication and making of the molds, what we call the tools. This can take months and months to create the molds for tools. So you have, you have a toy, it has to be um, sculpted or, you know, so there's a creative process to Mm -hmm. take it from 2d to 3d. So there's a sculpture process and creating molds and master molds and, and then finally creating the, the production molds and the factories. And, you know, it takes weeks to produce the toy and then it has to be decorated, you know, painted all the deco and, added things packed out and then shipped generally from China can take six weeks for the toy to, to uh, sail across the ocean in big containers to arrive 
you know, in the port of Los Angeles before it's distributed. So it really takes a long time. And that doesn't even include the, the development of the toy, you know, the design work that comes before any of that happens. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as, as mentioned, I arrived at Tonka at the very end of 1989. And the, what, what they wanted was they wanted to introduce wrestling buddies at Toy Fair. Toy Fair is held in mid-February. Okay. So oh, quick now around. we're talking about it's it's January, the beginning of January. That's six weeks away. Mm -hmm. They want to introduce wrestling buddies. Well, this is unprecedented. Uh, now, nowadays, you probably could swing something fast because of technology, but we didn't have any kind of technology back in 1990 that would allow us to make quick prototypes. So we, there was a team of wonderful, what we call soft goods people at Tonka, who were the ones who worked with fabric. And they, so they, uh, my soft goods engineer, Pat, developed the pattern, uh, you know, engineered it from a, a fabrication point of view. And we worked together. I did all the artwork and design, and then she put them together. Mm -hmm. Well, what we had to do was they had to, she and her team, <clears throat> excuse me, had to make a bunch of white wrestling buddies. Okay. Yeah. And then, and assemble them and stuff them. And then I drew on top of those stuffed wrestling buddies with marker Wow. with the approved design. So all of the wrestling buddies that were shown at Toy Fair that were in the ca original catalog and that were shown in the commercial were all my hand-drawn wrestling buddies. Wow. And so, as mentioned before, I was out there by myself because my family was in uh, Rhode Island. So I was able to, from my hotel room, I was able to sit in my hotel room in the evenings and weekends and draw on these blank wrestling buddies. And it took dozens and dozens of Prismacolor markers to color them. And we used Prismacolor markers because they were, we tested all kinds of markers, but they were alcohol based. And so they, uh, they, they didn't um, ruin the surface. Some markers made the surface really hard. Yeah. And so these were soft, so it allowed them to look very natural. But they all, but the fabric also sucked the life out of the markers. So we would, I would have boxes, literally boxes, with hundreds of markers in my room. And you'd use one up, and it would, it would dry up, and then you'd have to quickly switch to a, uh, a new marker without it showing that there was a streak. Anyway, yeah. wow, you know, that's unbelievable. That's crazy. And so I pretty much did all of those wrestling buddies by hand. There were some of the other designers that once I drew the the basic, you know, the facial features and the outlines of the thing, there were some help that I was able to get from some of the other designers. But for the most part, I made all those wrestling buddies and uh, it was quite a feat. And they went to Toy Fair and surprisingly, they were not an immediate hit. Um, they were okay. You know, they got, they, they got an okay reception, but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is the, the hottest thing. And surprisingly, by May, I believe it was by May, they had produced enough wrestling buddies that they were able to start doing live appearances. I believe the Ultimate Warrior was the first one who did an appearance in the East somewhere, New Jersey or, or someplace, Pennsylvania, I don't recall mm -hmm. where it was, where he made a personal appearance at a Toys R Us store. 
or Tile World, one of the toy stores, and they were selling wrestling buddies. So can you imagine a toy being produced that quickly that by May and June, not even fourth quarter, but yeah. but by summertime, we're already starting to hit the toy shelves. Yeah. And that's why I think by Christmas time, you know, fourth quarter, they were such a hot ticket. Yeah. I mean, with it being a soft goods toy, that would be the only way. Without there being the need of a mold to get something done that quick is is unbelievable. But uh, one thing you touched on in regards to the hand-drawn buddies, how many how many of each character you th- do you think you did that way? Just a couple? or No, I must have done at least a half a dozen of each Of each character. guy, yeah. And, and I probably drew many more and had some of the other designers that were coloring at my, at my direction. And you're saying, so, the, or excuse me. So you said the, the commercial, the Tonka wrestling buddy commercial with the kid from Pete and Pete. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those buddies in that commercial are your hand drawn buddies. I believe they are. Wow. I, because they had to do that commercial yeah. so early. Sure. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and I know that the cat, the original catalog shot. Um, and it's funny because you could, I can tell probably a you know a, the average person who is looking wouldn't necessarily look at the cal- the first catalog pictures uh-huh. and be, and know that that was hand drawn but I can tell yeah uh, and it's funny too because I uh, I still have my animal uh, Legion of Doom my animal prototype mm-hmm. and he's really faded but I still I've kept him and I still have it and it's funny because I have a catalog picture when they first released them, which was the next year, uh, the the second year. Yeah. And it's, it's the very same one that I have in my studio. You can tell because there's just a couple of little blips on my drawing of him that are in the catalog. It's just funny to think that I still have him. That's awesome that you still have at least one of the originals. Um, So you can't look at a wrestling buddy nowadays without, being transported back to a cold Minnesota hotel room <laughs> in the middle of winter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, great. the, the, I, I have to give a shout out to Tonka and of course Tonka no longer exists as it did back then. Uh, Tonka in 1991, Tonka was bought by Hasbro and we designers were scattered to the wind. A, f- a few designers moved, moved to Hasbro because, uh, you know, they were offered, mostly it was, um, regarding the Tonka trucks, which was probably what Hasbro really wanted mm-hmm. was the trucks. And um, the rest of us kind of scattered to the wind. But Tonka, when we existed, was just one of my favorite companies to work for. And the thing that was awesome about Tonka was um, I was a designer, right? I was not in management. I wasn't a manager or anything. I was a, a you know, what we call a staff designer and the boys team, the marketing team, including the vice president of marketing, boys toy marketing, the senior directors, they just embraced me. And, you know, I went on numerous trips to Stamford, Connecticut with them for approvals with Titan sports, with the WWF. Um, They, you know, treated me like I was just part of the team and, that was really a unique experience because most toy companies, especially large ones like Hasbro, Mattel, you know, management are just kind of on a different plane. And you, 
the lowly designers are just wrists that do their bidding. I, you know, I'm not saying that I was treated badly, but that's that's just how it is. And that's probably how it is with most companies. You know, your average everyday worker bee is not going to be necessarily invited to meetings with vice presidents and CEOs and things. It's uh, It was an honor to work at Tonka because I was um, such a part of the team there and the, the people were outstanding, really talented bunch. And I stayed in touch with so many of them. They've just been a great uh, group of people. Well, ab- absolutely. And, and at that time, too, and that kind of leads me to a question that I, I did want to ask you is, 1990, we're talking about here, and you're getting to go, you know, to Stanford and and with the boys' division and boys' toys, they dominated the front page of sales papers. They dominated the commercials. They dominated the the marketplace. And you being a female in the a male dominated industry, the toy world that we think of, with that, like, how was that uh, at that time, especially, and and what was the ratio of like uh, females in the in the toy industry that you were working with, uh, especially in the boys division, um, I, I believe it was G- Gem. I know had a mostly female division, but that was one of the, the few with with Hasbro there. So, um, just to tell us about that, like this big male dominated industry, and you're getting to break in and and do these things. Well, I never thought of it that way. Um, I've uh, first of all. I've primarily been a girl's toy designer and, and, and most companies that have a girl's team, it's mostly female designers that work in that team. That's not always true in, in my division at Mattel. When I started, there were at least two guys in our group. There were probably maybe five, five or six women and two guys. Um, But I'm also kind of a different kind of person in the sense that, I just think of us as being designers. You know, I never really looked at it as men versus women or, you know, males versus females. I kind of got along with everybody and I actually really enjoyed working with so many of the men that I worked with. They were delightful. Um, A lot of it just had to do with the interests of the designers. Uh, I only knew one female who worked in, um, she was in the, uh, I believe, I, I can't remember whether she was in the G.I. Joe group at Hasbro or whether she was in the Transformers group. But uh, there was only one female in the boys group at Hasbro that I recall. But there were, you know, several guys in the in the uh, girls toy group. But, you know, I just kind of looked at everybody as individuals and not really like, oh, they're a man and they're going to look at things differently. I was always um, pleased when I was included in boys toys types of of um, pro- projects. Uh, when I was at Hasbro, I was invited as the only female um, to contribute designs to a little novelty line called Belly Buttons, which was in 19. 19- 86, I guess it was meant to compete with Mad Balls, okay. kind of in a way. I mean, it was a much more uh, inexpensive version, but they were these funny little characters. And I was very pleased to have been invited to do that, not because I because it was kind of considered a boy's toy, but because it meant that they thought my illustration skills, my art skills were comparable to a lot of the talented boys toys designers who could do these kind of ugly characters or, you know, more um, 
edgy kind of characters that, that I was invited to do that was really flattering. And I really, really enjoyed that project. And most of my designs were produced. And that was kind of fun. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it, it, it did. It but, was enlightening to hear that, at, that especially then it was, the, you were just going to work, showing up and, and doing what you do and what you love to do. And, and that, that's great to hear. Um, yeah, I liked, I liked all the designers. I mean, my colleagues, every place I've ever worked, I, I have had wonderful colleagues. And I, don't, I can't even think of a single instance where a colleague, meaning somebody who was a designer like me, not a manager or anything, was competitive or secretive or protective or catty. I mean, I, just, I was just lucky. I just worked with wonderful, wonderful people. And, you know, without exception, I, I, I wish I could say the same for management. There, <laughs> there, were, uh, there were always issues with management because that's just the nature of the beast, right? You've got people up there making decisions and most of the time you're thinking oh are they qualified do they do they know what they're doing but uh, as far as my colleagues they were terrific sure and at your time at hasbro uh as we were talking there in the 80s so you went from mattel where you designed moon glow and you got to work with you know the popples line and then was it gem was that your first line where you got to work with hasbro and did you have that creative licensing like you did with with moon glow uh for that line or was there other lines you worked with you know, I, I loved working on Jam, but I didn't have as much creative license. Um, but a, kind of a little interesting thing about going from Mattel to Hasbro. In 1985, um, there, you know, the toy wars were in full swing. And Mattel had been at the top of the heap for so many years. And Hasbro was... Um, had, had, was neck and neck. You know, there were times when Hasbro sales exceeded Mattel's sales, and there was a lot of competition. Hasbro had recently purchased Play School. They had bought Milton Bradley. There were, you know, purchases, and Mattel, of course, had huge successes with Hot Wheels and Barbie and other other lines. And so when I went to Hasbro, they treated me like I was some sort of... Um, I. I wish I could think of exactly a good word to use, but on the one hand, they started bringing me in meetings, expecting me to reveal Hasbro's, I mean, Mattel's oh, secrets yeah. to them. Like, like tell us, what is Mattel doing? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think they thought that I was had more experience than I really had. I'd mm -hmm. only been in the toy industry a little over a year, but I was immediately made a senior designer when I went to Hasbro. And they kind of treated me like I was super, super experienced. And so I didn't want to tell them that I wasn't. Yeah. So I just had to kind of become really experienced really quickly. <laughs> Fake it till you and make it. So, That's it. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I, I look back on that first year or two and I really, really learned a lot. And uh, the very first, the, the first two lines I worked on were, gem and real baby and real baby was a line i won't i won't go into the particulars of that it's not a very interesting story but it was a kind of a artist doll realistic looking baby doll and they assigned me to do a, a whole new doll in that line which never was never produced but i spent many many months developing from scratch this new doll but then when i was put on gem um there were a lot of I won't say restrictions, but it wasn't quite as uh, open as 
other lines have been, you know, Popples or, or even re- the Real Baby mm-hmm. project. Um, the, except I got to design the llama, which was kind of famous for among gem collectors. Gem's pet llama is rather um, famous and exciting people. She's kind of a grail item. And I had kind of free reign. It, the, the story was Jem's band, the holograms, Jim and the holograms, were going to go on a world tour. And they were going to go all over the world. And when they performed, wherever they performed, they were going to receive a pet of some kind from, oh, wow. you know, whoever. <laughs> Fans or the government. <laughs> right. not sure. The, the government. <laughs> so um, we came up, uh, my friend and I, my colleague and I came up with the idea that she would go to um, South America and receive a llama you know we looked at other countries and other pets that she could receive a koala from australia you know yeah. I, I think maybe a baby elephant i i we didn't really get very far the llama um was approved and my and i did the design work and i pretty much had complete creative control over how it looked and eventually it was uh, released as a premium, a, a mail-in premium, was never sold in the stores, much to my great disappointment. Uh, but it became kind of a cult favorite. Mm-hmm. And people who are really into gem, they love the llama. And I, I went to GemCon in August and I was presented with, uh, you, your viewers can't see it, but I've got a little clay llama that, that I keep on my desk that oh, somebody really gave cool. me that they made. People have done drawing. That's cool. Somehow so, I managed to spirit that away. Yeah. So the llama not being able to be available in stores is a bummer, but by becoming a mail away, it becomes that grail item that kind of lives on in collectors' right. minds. So mm-hmm. a little bit of a trade-off there. Now you mentioned Right, but of course I wasn't aware of any of that. I mean, oh, that never yeah. crossed my mind. All there was was, oh shoot, I'm not gonna get to go to the toy store and see the llama <laughs> on the shelf. Yeah. Right. Now uh talking about toy stores, do you have any memories of any specific product that you uh created along the way where you maybe brought your, your kids into a toy store? Like you guys wanted to experience it together. Like I wanna see the first time this item is on a store shelf. That had to be cool. Not just for you, but for your husband and your kids too, right? To to be able to yeah, go into a the, store. Yeah, the kids really love that, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm sure that there were I, I can't think of any specific time, but I but we did, you know, yeah. we would take the kids to Toys R Us or Child World or KB or wherever we were going, and you know, they'd see mommy's dolls or mommy's yeah. toys on the shelves, and that was exciting. I think. Except for the wrestling buddies, I think my two sons were rather not impressed. With <laughs> Wasn't it? None of, none of your cute things were in their wheelhouse. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't that impressed. Once I did wrestling buddies, then that was very cool. They could brag to their friends. Yeah. They're like, and, Mom, uh, well, can't you design a Ghostbuster action figure? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. yeah so, we, okay. so after, um, res- as, uh, after wrestling buddies... Uh, you know, you, that's when you turned to freelance. I know you worked a, like a little bit through other companies there, but tell us about that. How was it just kind of being almost like a hired gun for these companies and designing toys? Well, I had a, there was a short hiatus. So uh, Tonka was closed down at the end of December of 1991. And I had just had a baby in November. 
So um, I chose to stay in Minneapolis for a short while. We didn't know what we wanted to do. We really loved living there. Minneapolis is a great area for families. They, it's a very kind of outdoorsy environment. There's lots of parks and lots of things to do. And re we really enjoyed the Twin Cities area. And I had this new baby. So um, before I decided what to do, I, I started freelancing and I was just immediately busy. I mean, basically, I had a newborn in my lap and I'm drawing. I illustrated my first book. I did two workbooks. And then I started working for an inventor agent that I ended up working for for about 25 more years off and on. And uh, I was I was freelancing for a lot of my Tonka colleagues who'd moved on to other companies, Mattel or um, some of them had gone to Rollerblade. And I was even doing some Rollerblade work, wow. uh, Manhattan Toy, which was in Minneapolis. And so um, I kind of enjoyed the freelance experience. It didn't last very long because uh, this inventor agent that I mentioned had requested that I do some doll concepts that Fisher Price was looking for new dolls. And so I came up with about 25 concepts, rough concepts, and Fisher Price bought one of them, which ended up becoming Cuddle by Baby and um, sold quite a few. It was a little kind of a very young uh, baby doll and it was pretty successful. And so Fisher Price hired me. So six months after Tonka closed its doors, we found ourselves in Western New York and I started working for Fisher Price. So I worked for Fisher Price, mostly doing dolls and really enjoyed, it was a wonderful company. We enjoyed East Aurora, New York. It's a lovely town. Our kids by this point, our three older kids are in grade school and into middle school, and they made a lot of friends. It was a wonderful town, uh, but Mattel bought Fisher Price. And once they bought Fisher Price, um, they decided that their dolls program was gonna kind of go on the back burner because Mattel, they felt that Mattel did dolls much better than Fisher Price did. They didn't have the resources. So basically Mattel, brought me back as part of the deal. I was able to keep my Fisher-Price seniority and I was kind of transferred from Fisher-Price back to Mattel. So our family moved back to Southern California in mid-1995. Um, Mattel is an interesting company to work for. I mean, I had, I owe so much to Mattel for so many experiences and projects and uh, things through the years but I knew that I didn't want to stay at Mattel very long because I just, I'm, I'm not a very corporate person and Mattel is a very corporate company. And so after about two and a half years, I left to start my own business. So this was at, in, at the end of uh, two, 1997. So starting in 1998, I had my own freelance business for the next 12 years. And those were just really awesome years. I was able to stay home, work in my home studio. My kids appreciated the fact that I was, you know, home and near them. But I was super busy. I mean, I had, I did a lot of work for Mattel. I was working for Hasbro, for MGA, Playmates, um, just uh, Jack's Pacific, Spin Master. 
lots and lots of companies, lots of projects, and really enjoyed those freelance years. Um, I, I like the freedom, you know, of working from home, and be, but being able to just drop everything on a whim and go to lunch with my friends or go to my kids, uh, you know, play practice, whatever it was that I had to do, I was able to do that during those freelance years. But, you know, the recession hit in 2008, and I needed to go back to work. So in 2009, I went to Spin Master. Uh, one of my Hasbro, I mean, I'm sorry, one of my Mattel colleagues was now head of the girls group at Spin Master. And so I went to work uh, at Spin Master and I was there for almost three years until the very end of 2011. And I was unexpectedly laid off and uh, kind of didn't know what to do. And so I started freelancing again, which I loved. But I was also <laughs> I was getting unemployment. And, you know, those people in the government, they want you to be looking for work. It was just <laughs> pathetic, you know. They didn't want to just give me money. They wanted me to show that I was looking for work. So, of course, I dutifully went to look for work and was uh, hired by Toys R Us in New Jersey to come and uh, become a design manager for their girls' toy division. And so by this point, our kids have all left the nest and uh, this was 2012. And so my husband and I moved to New Jersey and I went to work for Toys R Us corporate. And that was delightful experience. I was not just designing girls toys, even though I was the head of the girls toy group, but was designing for Imaginarium. So uh, doing preschool, doing role play, it was super fun, great colleagues. And then uh, I was kind of wooed away by uh, Madame Alexander Doll Company in New York City. So in summer of 2015, I went to work for them. And um, honestly, it, it wasn't really a good fit. Um, probably should have stayed at Toys R Us. But maybe if I'd stayed at Toys R Us, I would have been there at the bitter end. And that might not have been good either. So um, I was laid off at Madame Alexander less than a year later and was kind of adrift because we'd moved to New Jersey. And we were just renting an apartment, but it was like, oh, what do we do now? You know, I'm in a, I'm in a way different point in my life, you know, retirement age, where most of my co colleagues are retiring, and what do I do? So we decided to move to Utah, and uh, there's a long story. I'm not going to bore you with that, but uh, we ended up here in Utah. Two of our daughters uh, live here, and I'm still freelancing, and I wrote my book, and I you know, do fan conventions. I teach at a local university and I do appearances and guests. I guest speak. I, you know, have done all kinds of fun stuff. So that's kind of where I am now. Wow. So you've uh, a unique perspective, right? You've Absolutely. worked for every company imaginable. At one point, you worked for the biggest toy store on the planet. Yep. You freelanced along the way. So you've done it all over many decades. Um, and I know, you know, we're on borrowed time, so we want to wrap it up here. But before we go, I guess one last question. Is there any one particular toy line that you look back maybe, uh, you know, as a favorite or just something that you're remembered for that, or a particular work that you just take the most pride in, or is it too hard to choose one thing? Well, that is a hard question because I've worked on so many lines. I right. always said that my, my very favorite line of toys to work on, what everything that I did never was produced, and that was Moon Dreamers. When I was at Hasbro, 
Moon Dreamers were a, a line of small little dolls that had a kind of a celestial theme. You know, they were from space. They had all kinds of different characteristics. They all had features that glowed in the dark. Their hair glowed in the dark. They had parts of their outfits. And so my second year, or the, the, the line was released the same time as Gem. So it was released in 1986. But I, when I got there, the first line had already been designed and developed. So I started on the second year, just like I did with Gem. And so I designed all of the new Moon Dreamers dolls and two and two little Starfinders dolls. And they all were just so cute and charming. I created their backstories, their personalities. I had almost complete free reign with their design. The prototypes were done. They were photographed. They were put in the catalog for Toy Fair for 1987. And then the line was canceled. Oh, no. And it's it was one of those kind of tragedies that happens in the toy industry. You know, you work on a line and all of your hard work is just deep sixed. Mm -hmm. But it was just such a cute line. And I had, you know, so much creative latitude. And I developed some sculpture for it and all, all of these characters and their personalities. And it was really a labor of love. So that was very memorable. I, I do think the Wrestling Buddies were a hugely memorable line. And, you know, I, I it's hard to pick a favorite because I've worked on so many fun things. Yeah. Well, those Moon Dreamers sound awesome. <laughs> I was like, man, it sounds, sounds so cool. That's a, that's a, that's a shame. Um, before we wrap it up, I had one one final little question, and this was uh, more of me just, just see, following you on Instagram and taking a look, and I saw uh, a, a fun little video or, or, or post about uh, dolls that you designed with bangs, and uh, <laughs> what is the inspiration behind so many bangs on, on your designs? Look at me. I have bangs. <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny. Until my granddaughter said that, I really didn't notice. But I, I, I've always worn bangs, almost always. You know, may, there were probably times when, like when I was in high school, when I had the long hair parted down the middle and no bangs. But I just think, I just think it makes things look cute. Absolutely. So I guess it was the cute factor, Fun. and I, I do like bangs. <laughs> well. We appreciate your time, Stephanie. And once again, uh, tell tell people where they can find you, they can reach out to you, and get your book. Sure. Um, I My book is available on my website, which is stephanieescanderdesign.com, and it's Stephanie with an F, so S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E-E-S-K-A-N-D-E-R, design.com. And you can order my book, and I have prints of a lot of my artwork, including those lost moon dreamers. Oh. So, uh, and you can follow me on Instagram, which is Steph Designs Toys. Perfect. That's great. Well, we appreciate you, Steph, taking the time to talk to us. I know we had a few technical difficulties, but we got it done. Love the stories. Appreciate you, and we'd love to have you on again in the future. Talk a little more in detail about things we may have Absolutely. missed here today. Yeah. Thanks. It was great talking to you guys. I appreciate the questions and I always love talking toys.
Welcome to the toy cast. Toy cast. Cue up the super soakers for the time blast. Time Make your tail spin from the launch pad. Launch it's the time blast of the toy cast. We know the facts well, straight out the half shell. Bringing that TGRI in the landfill. Yeah. Three Caballeros on the move, no duck bill. Cause they're the right brothers to take flight. It's so real. Every time last guaranteed to cover that. Be kind of rewind like blockbuster back. Got reviews, have you looking for the red flag and bigger noses than Mark Summers? On the show hand, so get your notepad. We talking about collectibles. Collectible. Your to the seal, know the value is exceptional. Uh, As it can be from TV to the VHS, yeah. Power Rangers, Star Wars, yeah. He-Man, Playsets, yeah. Transformers, G.I. Yeah. Joe with Destro, yeah. Light Bryce with the glow, power from Nintendo. Nintendo. So many toys you will never know. Never know. Welcome to Toy Cast. Here we go. This episode of the Time Blaster Toycast was produced and hosted by Dave Harbison, Joe D'Alessandro, and me, Keith Libra. We record live to tape from my shop, Time Blaster Toys, in Westland, Michigan. This episode was mixed and edited by Joe. Our theme song is by our pal, the talented Mark Cooper. Follow us on Instagram, at Time Blaster Toys, and YouTube, at Time Blaster Toycast. If you have a question, comment, or idea for our show, you can contact us via the Time Blaster Toy Line at 734-494-2292 or via email at timeblastertoys at gmail.com. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see everyone next week.